Welcome to New World of Work, a podcast exploring the new frontier of the modern workforce. I'm Rhys Black, Head of Workplace Design at Oyster, a global employment platform making it easier than ever to build a brilliant team on an international scale. On New World of Work, we'll hear from some of the world's best and brightest people and culture experts on cutting edge topics that people operations professionals need to hear today, all through a global lens. Join us as we navigate this new world of work together and learn more about each other along the way. Communication may come in many different forms, but fundamentally it's at the core of the work that most of us do. With remote work becoming the status quo and teams distributed across continents, the ways in which we communicate have rapidly changed compared to just a few years ago. Asynchronous communication is a term that many of us would not have heard or used prior to 2020, but it's now extremely common for teams that have members across time zones. In distributed teams, how can team members build trust and really get to know each other, sometimes without ever having any overlapping working hours? Enter video messaging. Whether it's reducing or replacing meetings or sharing something fun about your backyard with your coworkers, video messaging can really help foster culture and connection. In this episode, I sit down with Joe Thomas, CEO and co-founder of Loom. Loom is a video messaging tool that allows users to record quick video messages in place of meetings or written communication. Joe and I share some really unique use cases for video messaging in our discussion, especially if you have any dancers or gardeners in your team. Hope you enjoy. My name is Joe Thomas. I am the co-founder and CEO of Loom. Workplace communication has changed over the last two years as what I would still say is we're 10% of the way through the change at this point. When we initially went into the pandemic and everybody was working from home and we had gotten to the two to three month mark and we had no end in sight. And so you're like, this is going to be at least a year. It was enough for there to be a meaningful accelerant to a trend line that was already happening, which was generally, how do we enable individual freedom and flexibility to work from where they want to work and ideally on what time zone that they want to work from? And the way that you can enable an individual to do that is through leaning into better communication principles and practices, because that's ultimately how all work gets done. That's how anything gets done in this world is, is communication. And so you really have to think hard and critically about how do you enable that in a increasingly remote and distributed context? Because at the beginning of the pandemic, there was the first two to three months where everybody was generally staying in the same place. So that still means that your time zones were approximately the same as they were prior to the pandemic. And then more and more companies in a talent war were saying that you can move if you want to go someplace else. You don't have to stay in these major urban centers that all the restaurants and movie theaters are closed. Like if you want to move back closer to family, go for it. And then all of a sudden there is increasing fragmentation of time zones and where people were calling in from. And so that was a very real problem set that needed to be solved for. And that's when in the, let's just call it approximately three to six month horizon post-pandemic is when asynchronous 
that terminology that was a total scientific term in advance of the pandemic actually started to become part of the common lexicon of like, okay, what does asynchronous work? If we're adopting asynchronous, how does that intersect with meetings? Because all of a sudden Zoom fatigue became a term when the white paper had enough time to do the study and we were all exhausted from staring at the camera all day at looking at ourselves of like, we have to, our brain has to work harder when the, it's a 2D image versus like in a 3D room when we're all sitting there and able to read everybody's emotions. So I still think we're in the very earliest days of the way in which communication behavior is evolving because we're biological creatures, right? We usually take tens of thousands of years to evolve, but the way in which we end up changing our behavior in rapid succession is the tools that we give ourselves and then the ways in which we leverage them. And I think that the tool set is really interesting in terms of how it's evolving, not just Loom and asynchronous video. Uh, I also think that there's really interesting tools that are trying to enable that water cooler conversation, right? So there's so many things that are still yet to be built in order to unlock the full fidelity of what an in-office culture represented. But I think that it all fundamentally is rooted in communication is how you get work done. And now we're just trying to do it in the most efficient way possible. The reason why communication is so important for companies, especially if they're remote and distributed, is I think of this saying all the time. And there is no, I, I don't know who the quote is attributed to, but communication is the mother of all skills. You literally can't do anything in this world without the ability to communicate. And communication isn't just in written words and what you say to one another. It's in everything that you do. Body language was something that came up very early on in the pandemic of like, oh, I can't read that as efficiently in a distributed world. And so to me, I think that communication, especially for distributed and remote teams, you have to be more principled about it because there's more complexity to the way in which work gets done or the way that anything gets done. I've talked about time zones at this point. You may be trying to engage with someone that's literally nine hour different time. And that means that you have no overlap in terms of when you would potentially work together. The second thing is the back and forth that happens organically when you're sitting together at desks next to one another is that there is some nuance of information that potentially happens. So the other part of it is like you need to document by default. You can't be jumping into these Zoom meetings all the time and uh, constantly be having these uh, conversations. And then the last thing that I would say is you've heard of like the five dysfunctions of a team. And the, the base of the pyramid is trust. I think that building really strong relationships that enable you to assume positive intent by default with communication is that you can totally add your subjective perspective on a message that comes in. And if you read it from an optimistic framework versus a pessimistic framework is ultimately rooted in how much you trust that individual or not. Okay, Joe. Great to finally have you on the show. We've been trying to make this happen for a long time now. So this idea of setting the cultural paradigm, I think that was uh, is very much on people ops leaders' minds. And in that point, you were saying about assuming good intent or setting the, the cultural understanding that everybody should come from a position, as you say, an optimistic standpoint, not a pessimistic standpoint, is very, very important. But I think from conversations I've had, people are struggling to, to, to maintain that, to almost keep that being an ongoing thing. You might say that at the beginning and say, okay, everybody, we're going to assume good intent, but 
when it actually comes to a difficult conversation that's being had within a team, and if it's particularly if it's written down, uh, it's easier said than done. It's easier said than done to to remove emotion from it and to, to, to stay on that standpoint. What would you say to people, ops leaders, to help them maintain that and, and ideally grow that into the company? To me, how you continuously grow best behaviors within an organization because you understand them theoretically, but uh, putting them in practice is hard. I fully agree with that. I think we have always thought really hard about the values that we've articulated at Loom. And I really do believe that you try and compress the absolute idealist behaviors that you have at an organization, you document them in values, and then you have day-to-day practices to reinforce them as much as you possibly can. So for Loom, we have five values, which is ownership, optimism, real. So like real is a counterbalance to optimism, velocity, and human. And we did single words because they were easier to use in sentences versus phrases, which we had for the first five years of Loom. And then we put it all in a sentence in order to make it easier to remember them is that, you know, a Loomate is an optimistic owner who acts with velocity, keeping it real and human. And so if we can go into the definitions of each of those words, which we actually have about six bullets underneath each, because we wanted them to be broad and generally encompassing, and we wanted to be relatively precise and specific in terms of how we were defining them, that how do we end up putting those into practice? Like we have a cultural values channel that we shout each other out asynchronously. We are constantly talking about those words again, like making them as fluid and that you can use them in sentences as easy as possible. And so I, I fully understand that things like assuming positive intent, especially in highly pressurized or emotional situations where you're giving feedback. Um, if you can just say, Hey, look, like I'm trying to be real with you and I'm trying to do it in as real time as possible. And everybody knows radical candor at this point. And like you do it from a place of genuine caring, like you care about the customer and delivering for them. And you feel like we're not living up to that. And you feel like the person's not living up to their potential and who they can be. I think that values goes a long, long way in order to set the context. But in order to make them real, they have to be constantly communicated and day in and day out behavior. And we're not in offices anymore of where you can have them plastered all over the world, the walls. Right? So you actually need to do things like, I know that Oyster just came out with something called The Reef, where it's an employee handbook that is a bunch of pages everywhere. We use Notion, and, and I believe it's built on Notion, is that we use their blocks that we have our vision, mission, values block at the top of every single document that we create. So we have this like reinforcement of why we're here, what we're doing, and how we should ideally behave in order to do it. And if you can just have these constant reminders that are top of mind, I think that that ultimately sets up the organization for success in all of the millions of interactions that happen over the course of the year between Lumates and customers, Lumates with one another, text, written, synchronous. It's all about the behaviors that you embody and the values that you're trying to live up to. As we move from remote work in the same time zone to distributed teams across time zones, we find ourselves in the early stages of a massive shift in how we communicate. But the fact remains that communication is crucial to building trust among teams. We learned in a previous episode that trust is established in varying degrees depending on the method of communication. 
In-person communication establishes trust quickly and at a high level, but isn't possible for many of us working remotely. Video messaging could be a viable alternative and could possibly build trust quicker than audio or instant messaging. Our research shows that global hiring is only going to increase, and as a result, so will asynchronous communication. Oyster recently released the Global Employment Report, which is full of insights about why hiring globally should be on your company's radar. If you'd like to learn more about globally distributed teams, be sure to check out the link in the show notes or visit this bit.ly link, bit.ly forward slash employment report. I repeat, bit.ly forward slash employment report. Next, let's hear about how Joe and Loom plan to use video messaging to transform how companies communicate. So the overall vision and mission of Loom is what we have today is our vision is to empower effective communication wherever work happens. And our mission is to weave humans at work closer together with video. The interesting thing about the way that we think about vision and mission over the course of time is that uh, it's Jeff Weiner, who's the former CEO of LinkedIn for about a decade. He has a really excellent framework called Visions to Values, and uh, he defines vision to be an independent statement that if you read that in isolation, you wouldn't be able to tell which company it is. So when you say empower effective communication wherever work happens, that could be hundreds of companies, right? maybe thousands. But then when you tie it into our mission statement, which then helps paint a more specific picture, uh, more a little bit more time bound where it's about five years to weave humans at work closer together with video, that was one that we articulated about a year and a half ago, because especially through what we've all been navigating the last two and a half years with the pandemic and shelter in place and the multi-decade sort of change that we're only a couple of years into at this point, we believe deeply that video had an even more powerful role to play in terms of helping people, of course, communicate effectively, but at the same time, help people build relationships in a distributed manner. So the way that Loom is different from other communication tools like instant messaging or email is that video is unbelievably potent in terms of the fidelity of what you're communicating. It is, so over 90% of the recordings that happen with Loom have a screen context to them. So we superimpose a little camera bubble on top and then it's your work in the backgrounds and just the ability for an individual to communicate what they put together in a document or a design file or Excel sheet, there's a human on the other side of that work. And it allows them to go into the nuance of how they essentially to explain how they came to certain conclusions and what they put together. And so that is incredibly difficult to communicate with plain text, which is truly an abstraction. It, it strips away intonation. Uh, it strips away essentially who we are as individuals. And so video is, you can read a paragraph of text and probably not be able to identify who that individual is. But if you watch a video of Reese in this case, or Joe, myself, it is undeniably them. And so we believe that Loom and asynchronous video is unbelievably powerful from a fidelity and human communication perspective. Now, the other side of it too, in terms of other communication tools, we think a lot and talk about 
way more than ever in the previous couple of years is synchronous communication. So this podcast that we're recording live right now or a Zoom meeting that we hop on versus asynchronous. And we believe that in terms of empowering distributed teams to communicate as effectively as possible, we all need to lean into the asynchronous communication. And so how can we enable anybody to engage as a first-class citizen, no matter what time zone that they are engaging from. And so we believe that we're primarily differentiated from text-based communication through the full fidelity. So it gives you the ability to explain something as a human. And then we're differentiated from video conferencing or any form of synchronous communication through obviously asynchronous. So it enables people to build relationships and communicate something no matter where they're calling in from. So I guess that was a bit of a leading question because I think there's an interesting behavior that I've seen and I'd love to get your thoughts if this is something you've observed as well. For for lack of a better term, I guess you could call it loom perfectionism <laughs> where you want to record something, you want to get a message across and you might end up recording it five times before you actually feel comfortable sharing what it is. So the reason I was touching on audio only is I think that there is less of a tendency for perfectionism when it is audio only versus audio plus video. And do you think that I guess the, 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 the extra fidelity, the extra depth of the communication by including video is worth the, the potential slowdown in the communication if people are recording multiple times over to get things perfect? It is a, another excellent question about you know, how we think about perfectionism when it comes to recording. And ultimately, we think about there's like three E's that I've communicated from the earliest days is like efficiency, effectiveness, and expressiveness. And people ultimately pick up work communication tools because it makes them faster and better at their jobs, period. So if you lean into the behavior of video recording and sharing and you're like, that's going to make me faster or better at my job, but I'm re-recording it five times, you're immediately going to be like, I'm not terribly interested in this tool because I have a bunch of other work that I need to get to and this is actually getting in my way. And so there's two different ways to go about solving this. One is through psychological framing of what it means to record. And we, over the course of time, and I think that we have a much, much better job to do on this front, is the fact that humans are imperfect. It's honestly like what makes us human. And so when you think about recording and sharing something, even if you stumble of your words, who cares? Because can you go back in real time and like change what you said in a meeting? No, you just kind of like keep rolling and you keep having the conversation. And so to me, like that is part of the power of asynchronous, but pro tip that we hear over and over again from power users of Loom is never re-record, ever. So like we have to get users to accept that reality, which is the fact that nobody cares if you stumbled over your words, nobody cares if you used an um or ah uh, or had an awkward sign off. That's like one of the top ones is like, oh my gosh, I don't know how to like end this Loom. Uh, and so I think that record it once and send it is the first thing. The second thing is that, you know, there's going to be a percentage of users who will never accept that premise. 
And I get that. So then we have to solve it with technology, which ultimately means, do we make it much, much easier to manually edit a loom? So can you actually doctor things up and just trust that we have the editing tools on the back end in order to adjust looms? And then ideally, you know, a sub-branch of that is how can we automate that packaging up over the course of time? How can we, which we do today, remove all of your filler words of ums and ahs? How can we allow you to append a different clip. So like you recorded the front half, you trim out part that you stumbled over, and then you can record the back half. These are all relatively light editing tools that we have today, but we need to do the automated editing on the back end that allows you to feel more comfortable with being a one-take wonder. So one question I had that I think is an interesting one as well is inclusivity. Um, when we are talking about video communication, particularly in distributed teams. so. We, it's now becoming very common for people to have teams that are spread around the world, people where English may not be their first language. Now, of course, arguably written communication is easier to digest uh, and to maybe not miscommunicate or misunderstand than spoken communication. So is there, is there anything that you, you've, you've thought about there when it comes to the way Loom has been built, anything that you've been doing to... I guess, make sure that there is no miscommunication when it comes to language barriers? The language barriers one is really, really interesting. And I think that we are in a golden era of video technology specifically. Traditionally, it's been very expensive, but now the ecosystem is blossoming in a way that this is why I think consumer behavior tends to lead the enterprise is that the ecosystem of technology adopts relatively quickly so you can build an excellent product in an accelerated manner based off of the libraries that are generally available. So two weeks ago, we announced that transcripts for all free users and paid users alike. And that is like the, the baseline in terms of taking that video that may be like, if you're deaf, you can't hear. And so having closed captions for every single video, that's part of inclusivity. But another thing is that we also want to translate those transcripts into various languages around the world. So you can speak in your native tongue and then you can have and make sure that you're heard and received on the other side, regardless of what other person's native language is. And so the last thing that I'd say here is, you know, I'm constantly studying the bleeding edge of what's possible with video. In the previous couple months, I've seen a couple of examples of somebody recording in a certain language and then it being they create a digital voice avatar and it makes it sound like you as well, but you speaking in a different language. So it's not this robot voice on the other side. It's your voice speaking in a different language. And so just imagine what that could potentially do in terms of unlocking teams' ability to work together. But fundamentally, it starts with really great transcripts that is accurate, that translates to terminology on the other side of the language, and making it sound authentic. Are there any... I guess, use cases or, or ways that you've seen Loom being used by customers that you think is you know, particularly ingenious that would be interesting to share? One of the ones that I think is incredibly potent and powerful because it does unlock a team and an organization's ability to feel connected to one another is that if you enable somebody to, or you set the standard for somebody to record a loom of themselves introducing themselves when they join a company. So every single loommate has an intro video where you can go in and if you're being rearranged on different teams, 
like obviously there's been intro docs over the course of time, but a video is so much more powerful to actually feel like you get to know them. And so this has increasingly become a use case as just a two to three minute loom introducing yourself is incredibly powerful. We've increasingly been hearing executives are recording weekly update looms just to send to the team. So that way they feel connection and cohesion from the top down. But it also enables the individual employees can leave comments and emoji reactions on the video timeline. And sometimes I've even heard from Yamini, who's the CEO of HubSpot. She's like, I get like six to eight looms per day. And it's sometimes from folks that I would never be in a meeting with. And so like this increased access of executives having connection with very members of the team is, is really, really powerful. The last thing that I would say is we have built a new version of our product experience called Loom HQ, which allows you to post a video to the workspace. And then we also do trending on the other side of it. So ultimately, you're going to have your communication be in Slack or an email or your project management tool. But then uh, you're, we can also increase the value per video that's recorded. And so we built this concept of trending. So whenever there's a bunch of comments and emojis and views that are happening on a video, we'll show that at, at the top of your home experience. And what's been interesting is how we've heard companies leveraging it for culture building activities. So we've heard of this concept of uh, employees would give plant tours of their homes. So they'll just walk around with our mobile app and say like, here's my favorite plant, like this is the story behind it. And then all of a sudden you have dozens and dozens of employees giving plant tours around their homes. So there's like getting work done and there's building real work relationships. But then there's also like, how can I just introduce you to my world in a way that we get to know each other a little bit better? And so we've heard of plant tours, we've heard of skincare routines. And all of this is like organic conversation that you might have with one another at lunch but like feels inappropriate in an asynchronous communication way, unless it's more human and like it just happens organically. And so I think that that's good for business is having real authentic relationships with folks and feeling like you genuinely get to know them as individuals just leads to the ability to have trust at the foundation and to do better work together. Just a, a, an anecdote there on, on some organic uses of, uh, of Loom. We have got to the point now where we're having dance battles in, in Oyster via Loom. <laughs> there, there is someone in my team that just so happens to be a break dancer and I didn't even know. <laughs> so it's amazing. So I want to put myself in the shoes of the listener uh, again a little bit more and the fact that they will be thinking, okay, I want to go to the exec team of the company or, or whoever it may be and get some buy-in for, for doing some work to overhaul our communication strategy. What, what are some of the, I guess, expected advantages of communicating in this way that people leaders can put forward, that they can share with their executive team so that they understand the issues, they understand the opportunity, more importantly, and they can get that buy-in to, to move the company forward? For me, I am a product manager by trade. So when I think about change, like changing behavior, I think about it doesn't happen with one like swing of the hammer. <laughs> it, it is something that is more of an experimentation mindset is the most important thing to get your organization and executives to agree to saying that we're willing to make or take on one major communication and collaboration experiment per whatever time horizon. Usually it's about, it, it's not a couple weeks, it's usually a couple months. So I think that for those that are potentially looking to make change, start small, right? Like 
try and get an experimentation framework that is top of mind, then start with one or two super potent experiments that you potentially want to run, and then empower the executives to potentially give their ideas around how to experiment with communication. And then the last thing is that a lot of these experiment ideas are ultimately going to be uh, fueled by what are best practices out there, right? So if we say that we want to reduce meetings, or we say that we want to lean into asynchronous behavior, which is the precursor to reducing meetings. Like, what are best practices out there? What are blog posts? I mean, Loom has plenty of these that we would love for you to come to our blog, or I'm sure Oyster has a bunch of good stuff out there too. So I'm just saying that experimentation framework and mindset, first and foremost, have one or two that you're very confident in and pitch those, and then ultimately share a bunch of uh, articles and knowledge around how we could potentially lean into this. And hopefully this is something that you can chip away over the course of time. Um, I want to talk about the future a little bit. I'd love to hear what are your predictions for workplace communication overall over the next five, 10 years? I think that the way that workplace communication is going to evolve over the next five to 10 years is that we are still in that multi-decade change. And I do believe that we're going to go through waves of this. We're already seeing it right now where some organizations are requiring folks to come back and do hybrid. They have to be in office X number of days per week. And so over the next two to three year horizon, we are going to regress in terms of some of our behaviors within pockets of people at work. But there's going to be a subset of organizations like Oyster and Loom that believe in what the future will end up being. So we may as well do the hard work now in order to figure it out, which I do believe that quote unquote hybrid is ultimately the the conclusion because even Oyster that gets together the entire company on X time horizon, I actually don't know when the last time the entire company was together, or if you get together as teams or departments, that to me is still hybrid because fully remote is you never get together in person and you never see one another. And so there's no gathering. And so all companies will become hybrid and hybrid is hard. It is very hard. And so I think that how does it evolve over the course of time? We do a little bit of a regression within certain pockets of like going back into office, but ultimately what wins out is freedom and flexibility at the individual level. And we become more and more confident and we trust that we can do individual freedom and flexibility because we know all the principles and practices and how we end up getting people together when it's most appropriate and when it's most valuable for us delivering for our customers or our constituents in whatever way. So finally, a question that we ask everybody that comes on uh, the podcast on your world of work, what's the best mistake you've ever made and why? So interesting to frame best mistake, uh, because mistake categorizes as something that went wrong, and then it's the best one. So like you've reframed it to being right. Uh, and to me, I think one of the things that ended up happening was that I technically dropped out of college, but I didn't try and make it work. I was 12 credit hours away and I could have gotten another American university is very expensive, especially if you go out of state. And I could have done another 20 grand in loans in order to finish out my university. And I felt really guilty about it, but I didn't really have a choice because nobody would co-sign a loan with me. And so I carried it as like a guilt and mistake for a very long time because I never finished my degree. But ultimately, it's what caused me to have to make it work in the world. And it forced me to build relationships with folks that was through basically working really hard. And so the best mistake I ever made was 
dropping out of college, even though it wasn't my choice. And then the whole crazy butterfly effects that happened as a result of that. So what I would say to the listeners is that there's going to be moments in time in your life when you're really pressurized by the universe that it feels really bad. But ultimately, if you try and make lemonade out of lemons, like it's going to feel better looking back. So don't let the dark moments get you down too bad because it's usually darkest before the dawn. Whether a team is using asynchronous communication or not, speaking with Joe has confirmed what I already believed. There is a use case for video messaging at your company. Here are three of my top takeaways from this episode. Despite there being so much change over the last two plus years, we need to remind ourselves that this is just the start. Asynchronous communication has been adopted by many companies, likely those with distributed teams, but all companies can and probably will adopt it eventually. Using a video messaging platform can organically foster company culture like the water cooler once did. This helps you put fun back into the company culture and help strengthen trust and connections between team members. I sent Joe a loom before we recorded this podcast that explained some of the instructions we usually cover in the first five minutes of the recording. It helped save time so we could focus our discussion on the topic of the episode. If a communication tool is efficient and saves you time, it can lead to increased productivity, something your exec team will probably be responsive to when you pitch your next idea. Remember to check out Oyster's Global Employment Report 2022 to learn more about globally distributed teams by clicking the link in the show notes below or visit bit.ly forward slash employment report. I repeat, bit.ly forward slash employment report. Thank you for listening to New World of Work the podcast exploring the new frontier of the modern workforce through an international lens. We hope this episode served to expand your horizons and open your mind to a new perspective. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so that we can reach more listeners. I'm your host, Reese Black. See you next time.